Many of the 1970s detective shows are still very popular today. I remember well Columbo, The Streets of San Francisco, and Policewoman. Many cancer patients have the propensity to be strong self-advocates. Yet, it seems the scripts are being written against us. As we the patients navigate conflicting and disparate information, being patient detectives, patient scientists, and strong self-advocates is our path to address our questions and to ensure our journey forward is tailored to our needs, our wishes. I want to let you know this episode runs about 40 minutes. I am very appreciative of Richard's patient detective skills and his very personal share. I do hope you will stay with us. Hello, and welcome to Prostate Cancer Lessons and today's topic, The Patient Detective, with our guest, Richard Rolando King. Richard is a fellow prostate cancer patient and patient advocate. I am your host, Murray Keith Wadsworth. Richard, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. And Richard, thank you for rescheduling from yesterday so I could enjoy the annular solar eclipse from my campsite here in, in Great Basin National Park in Nevada. Although coincidental, the timing seems appropriate for our discussion. As the definition of eclipse includes total or partial obscuring. As yesterday's moon partially blocked the sun, the information and truth surrounding prostate cancer are often blocked from us, the patients. So Richard, first please share with us what it means to you to be a Colombo patient detective. <laughs> Thank you, Keith, for that wonderful question. Being an electrical engineer, I was trained over the years to solve problems. No matter how complex was the problem, it had to be solved. It is like I was always was looking for clues in order to, to arrive to a solution. You're aware the fact that being a detective, you always have to be looking for clues. And it's like a puzzle. You have to take certain steps to arrive to a solution. It's like being trained to be a detective, basically. I used those skills and started to apply it into my prostate cancer journey. So, Richard, share with us how you honed your skills as a responsible patient detective, patient scientist, and strong self-advocate in the navigation of your prostate cancer journey from detection to where you are today. Well, let me just share with you that it all started out in 2008. Anytime I got my medical records, I started using a spreadsheet, putting all the data in my spreadsheet by dates. And I knew one day I was going to use it. I don't know how, but I knew I was going to use it. I included my cholesterol. I included my PSA. I included my protein in my urine. Everything was included in that spreadsheet. Every year since 2008, at the age of 48, I started putting all the data on the spreadsheet. It came to help me later on and I explain you why. From 2008 to 2015, my PSA was 
about two. Then six months later, after I took my PSA in February of 2015, six months later in October, I took my PSA again because I came down with an illness uh, called Andrew and an allergic reaction. So they took my blood and they took my PSA and, and my PSA rise to four. So within six months, remember now, in 2015, February of 2015, the PSA was two. And then six months, six to seven months later, the PSA rose to, to, to four. So my doctor sent me a letter uh, saying that you, you might have to go see a neurologist. I went to see my neurologist. I was nervous. Don't get me wrong. I was very nervous. I went to see a neurologist. A neurologist came back, tested me. He went and he, he checked my prostate. He had me take a, a, a sonogram uh, to get the size of my prostate. Apparently, my prostate was very large. It was 110 cc. And basically, he came back. He did a digital exam. It's, he didn't feel anything. And he felt that I was okay. He asked me to go take a P, another PSA. And I went and I took another PSA. But I decided at that moment to go see another urologist because I was I didn't trust this particular urologist. So I saw, I went to see another urologist. But when I saw this rather I explained the situation. And he says, let's take another PSA. He did a digital, he didn't feel anything. He had me take another uh, PSA. And it came back as 2.9. So basically he felt that everything was okay. But still, I was not comfortable. He told me everything okay. He did the density calculation and he felt that I didn't have no issue with my prostate. Basically, he told me I was okay. So I, I went home and I started doing research. That's when the detective work came about. And six months later, after that, that 2.9, I went to my practitioner, my regular doctor, and she took my PSA, and it came back to be 5.9. So that became a clue again, and I set up another appointment with my urologist because I was not comfortable with that number. And... He had me take the, he took, he did it digital again. He says, you, you, you know, everything sounds, I don't feel anything. You, you're okay. You know, he did the test, the, the, the density calculation again. He had me take a free PSA. The free PSA came back to be 22. So it appeared to be everything to be normal. So I sat back. I input the information into my spreadsheet. Started looking at the number, and at that point, I was not comfortable because I wasn't getting the answers. The answers I was getting was verbal answers, the opinion of a doctor. But I knew that the MRI existed, and I, matter of fact, I asked my doctor, I asked the urologist, should I take a, 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 an MRI or test, you know? test myself with, 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 with a, a paramedic MRI. He came back and he says to me, he, back then in 2016, because this happened in 2016 now, back in 2016, he, he indicated that he, he 
he didn't use the MRI. He, what, what he basically does, he go directly into the biopsy. But he didn't feel that I had anything wrong. So ah, I started taking my PSA. And it came back to be 4.1. Then it became 4.2. Remember, no, it, it, it started out in 2015 with, with, with 4. It jumped from 2 to 4. So my, my average PSA was 2 all along. And then it jumped from two to four, and then it went back down to two point nine, and then it's then it started maintaining in the range of four point one, four point two. So at that point, I decided to go to a third urologist. I wanted to get a third opinion. And I so let me let me Richard, Richard, let me stop you there uh, and emphasize a couple of things for our listeners. Because this story just repeats itself for all of us men. The digital rectal exam, the finger up the bum, mine was always clear. What I came to learn is that most early stage prostate cancer is missed by the digital rectal exam. I also learned the length of the doctor's finger matters. It turned out my primary urologist had really small fingers. When a DRE found my cancer, I was over in England. The doctor put me up on the table, rolled me around, had me bring my knees up to my chin to try to get the gland to rotate a little bit. And that's how he felt the tumor. So this all clear DRE simply means the doctor may not have felt the cancer that's in fact there. As you said, Richard, it's just their opinion. They go, I don't feel it, but it was there for both of us and it was missed. Also, I was diagnosed in 2016 over in England, and there they introduced me to the MRI. When I got back home, I asked my doctor about the MRI, and he says, yeah, we have them. We don't use them. And my head just you know, fell down, and I wanted to pound it on the table. So go back now to you're now going to go to the third urologist. Yes. Well, basically what you just said, that's exactly what happened to me. Very close. and. When I went to see my third urologist, I, I mentioned to him about my family history. I told him my father had prostate cancer. I also mentioned to him that my grandfather passed away with prostate cancer at age of 95. So, well, understood. The doctor says to me, Dan, first of all, let's go take your PSA again. He went and took my PSA. He, he says he was very concerned but. He came back and he did exactly what the other doctor did. He took the density, he did a density calculation. He said it looks okay. And he took a, he wanted to see if I had an infection um, test. He did an infection test. It came back okay. He saw that my my prostate was enlarged. You know, I remember I, I did that ultrasound previously. With that information, he was able to determine that, wow, the, 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 the PSA at a level of 4.2, 4.3, it, it, it could be because of the size of the prostate. So he said to me, he think I'm okay. He told me again, he think I was okay. No problem. You can go home. And I said to him, okay. But it was bothering me. I started doing further research. And I was very, very into the MRI. I, 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 I said, why they not 
sending me to take an MRI. That will determine if I have prostate cancer or not. Oh, we give them, you give us the clue. So six months later, now my PSA was at 4.5. At that point now, I say enough is enough. I came up with a plan, my personal plan. And the plan was to go see the doctor again, say, let him know what I want. Because I felt that an opinion is an opinion, but getting the evidence was will be conclusive. So I saw him. He took my PSA again, and it came back to be 4.8. And he told me, I told him also having a little issue urinating. My urine was not was not that fluid anymore. So he says, well, you could take a pill. He gave me some Flomax. He told me you could take Flomax and, and that will help you. So when we concluded our meeting, I, I asked him, are you done? He said, yes. I said, okay, now I want to let you know what I need. I said, look, I need a prescription for an MRI. I really need you to give me a prescription for an MRI because you you gave me your opinion. Three, two other doctors gave me their opinion, and that's okay, but I need proof. Again, being a detective, being a, an engineer, forced me to, 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 to tell him exactly what I needed. So he gave me the prescription, and he was very confident that it was going to come back normal. So I said, okay, he gave me the prescription. I went and take the MRI. And I was in my office and I got a phone call from my doctor's office saying they wanted to see me, that they found something. And I said, wow, they found something? Okay. So three days later, I went over to his office. We sat down and he said to me that it, it, the MRI showed that you are the parent four and that that might be cancer. And I said to him, I was nervous at that moment. And I said to him, well, if you think I'm a parrot four and you think it's cancer, do you think it's, it's a high gleason? Because at that time I understood the definition of the gleason. So I understood what was a six, gleason six, seven, eight, nine, or 10. So he, he said to me, well, Richard, I don't know what it is, but I need to do a biopsy on you. So... They did a fusion biopsy on me and also a blind biopsy at the same time. So, like I said, he prepared for me to take to go um, get, get a biopsy. So two weeks later, I went and did the biopsy. And then two weeks after that, he called me in to tell me to to inform me what he found. At that point, he mentioned to me that it it returned as a as a, as a Gleason 9, I almost dropped. He laid out a piece of paper, he drew the prostate, and he started showing with the X, marking with marking it with the X where they found the cancer. They found it here, they found it there, they found it over here, they found it over there. At that point, I wasn't hearing anything. I only had one thing in mind. This guy has to be fired. I was very upset because I felt that all along, They've been telling me that 
um, my process that I, I was okay. And, and now he's an expert in cancer now. So he saw I was very upset and I asked him to give me my pathology report immediately. I requested it. I didn't want to hear anymore. You just give me my pathology report. And he looked at me and he knew, he knew I was upset. So he said to me, Richard, I apologize. I felt that you didn't have cancer because, you know, you, you have an enlarged prostate. And I said to him, you remember back when I showed you my graph and I said to you in February of 2015, my PSA was, was, was 2.2. And then six months later, it, it, it rise to four. I said, if it was due, if it was due to prostate enlargement, my prostate could have not grown in six months or seven months. It doesn't make sense what you're telling me right now. So please, I would like you to give me my report. He hesitated, and I, I told him, I'm going to Memorial Sloan Kettery at this point because I felt that at Memorial Sloan Kettery, they would be able to do a better job for me. So then I went over to Memorial Sloan Kettery they did their own analysis, and again, they confirmed that it was a Gleason 5 plus 4. And they felt that it did not broke through the capsule yet. A month later, April 4, 2019, that I went to Memorial Sloan Kettery, and they decided that surgery would be the best choice because my prostate was too enlarged. So they removed my prostate, and weeks later, I got my pathology report. Uh, my pathology report determined that 30% of my prostate was cancerous, and that they had, and it was, and they had extraprostatic extension. And 30% is a lot of cancer. I felt. Personally, that because of the enlargement of my prostate, it didn't, and the fact that the prostate started out in my apex, in the middle of my prostate, it took, it gave me time for the prostate not to, for the cancer not to be able to, to, to travel on a distant, in a distant location, meaning that. As everybody know, cancer starts uh, local first, then local regional, and then distance metastasis. So basically, can I stop for a minute? Yes. Can we stop for a minute? Yes. All right, we're back from our break. Folks, this is something we men have to do sometimes. Okay, Richard, you were talking about uh, the discussion of localized to local, regional to distant Mets. And this is where you were with what was being found from your pathology. Yes. Uh, guys, like I mentioned that um, I, my, at, at the time in my pathology report, when I got it, I, I was a little concerned because of the extraposatic extension, meaning that some cancer, even though I had a, uh, the margin was negative, 
I had an extraprostatic exchange. I mean, it broke through the capsule, the prostate capsule. And being at least on nine, it could go anywhere. So I, I my PSA returned, and it was less than 0.01 at the time. But I, based on my pathology report, I talked to my doctor, and I told him, should we radiate my prostate? And he said, no, you, you, don't, you don't have it. You don't have it. And I said, but you're a high-risk patient. But you're not, you don't have it right for now. And I said, but, you know, those features being like me so nice. So he, he said to me, he, he was able to convince me at the moment. But again, it, that was his opinion. So three years passed since my uh, prostate was removed. I was undetectable for since from 2019 all the way to 2022. In, and then February of 2022, I went to take my PSA and it became detectable. And at that moment in time, the, the PSA was 0 0.05. I, I, I was, I was completely dumbfounded. I called my doctors and they indicated to me, they don't think this is a problem. It could be it, a prostate tissue that was left behind uh, during the surgery. So they don't think that that number is bad enough. It's, 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 it's still good. So that's when my doctor indicated to me that biochemical recurrence occurs at 0 0.2 and that, you know, my PSA is still low. So, so okay, so, I, I mean, so Richard, I'm going to, let me, let me interrupt you here. Very critical point. I want to go over with our guest. This is where we face significant disparities in clinical practices and where being the detective is crucial. So as Richard said, the standard guideline for what is called biochemical recurrence or your cancer's back is a PSA test result of 0.2 nanograms per ml. Before I had my surgery, I stumbled onto a paper out of Johns Hopkins that said, now we think this number less than 0.010 is the number to use. It's not standard in clinical practice. The surgeon I chose, I chose him because he focused on less than 0 0.010, not 0.2. Uh, That's why I went with him. You know, you fired your doctors, I fired my doctors. After my prostatectomy, my PSA was 0 0.050. And we both immediately knew my cancer was already out. My pathology was good but the cancer got out anyway. So here we are at the zero five zero. You're being told point two. So what'd you do from there? Okay. What I did from there was that, remember now, and I didn't mention something earlier, doing my uh, pathology, they had removed 23 of my lip nodes and they all came back negative. The surgeon was kind of happy because he felt that, wow, this patient had 30% cancer in his prostate and Gleason died and he was able to operate and remove 23 lymph nodes all came back negative so I felt that he was looking at his accomplishment rather than 
my 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 life <laughs> my life i was fighting for my life so when he came back and said to me to wait for 0.2 that insurance will not be able to cover if it's you know, for the psma pet scan if we don't arrive to 0.2 i i felt that look i am not going to wait for a 0.2 based on my research and at least on nine I should be be doing service radiation as soon as possible. So we negotiated. Basically, we was kind of negotiating with the doctor because he was telling me, "Hey, Richard, let's take your PSA in six months." And I said, "No, I'm not going to take it in six months. I want to take it sooner than that." And uh, so we we agreed to I would take it the next three months. Three months passed. Took my PSA and it came back to zero point one two. So that's a big rise in my mind. The doctor looked at me. I had my family on the phone. Everybody was, you know, we had a conference call with a doctor. Well, I had my daughter. I had my my wife. I had my sister and my two sons on the phone. And we all talking to the doctor. And he's trying to convince us that I'm still okay. That, you know, biochemical recovery is 0.2. And, and I, I'm okay. Uh, I looked at him and I I said, well, I I I I would like to see uh, radiation oncologist at this point. And he said, yeah, but I don't think that you know you you your your numbers are bad. I I I personally think that you you you're okay. And I and 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 I said, well, I will get back to you. And at that point, no, I decided to to put a letter together. And tell him exactly what I wanted. And there was no longer negotiation. There was no longer trying to save his reputation as a surgeon. It was about my life. My life became the more important thing at that moment in time. And I decided that I will put a letter together and let him know exactly what I wanted. And I, in that letter, I indicated to him that I wanted to move immediately on a salvage radiation. And and that, and I did mention in my letter that he did a very good job with the surgery. But as you know, we need to move forward. So he, he and, and the reason why I made a decision, uh, Keith, I made a decision because I realized that anytime I made a decision, everything came out good. When I took the decision or the opinion of the doctor, things came out bad. So at that moment in time, I stood my ground and I said, "We're gonna move on 0.12. I'm not gonna wait for no. I'm not gonna wait for 0.2." So I went to see my uh, radiologist at Memorial Sloan. I spoke to the doctor, and he insisted also that I wait for 0.2. And then I took him to the corner, and we had a personal talk. And I told, I asked him, if it was you or your son, will you wait for 0.2? He looked at me and he said, no, I would do it immediately. I said, okay, it's over. Let's move forward. Immediately we moved towards me having my, um, my radiation therapy. I had two months 
prior of Lupron and then four months doing the radiation. And after that was completed, a year later, I my my PSC has returned less than 0.01 undetectable. Um, again, all started out with me 10 years before I had prostate cancer to put a spreadsheet together. Write down my PSC. Analyze the numbers myself instead of waiting for the doctors to analyze it because they will see it differently the way I will see the numbers and analyzing it. And do my I did my own research in terms of what what PSA meant, what the the, the process was, uh, uh, for, uh, process for biochemical recurrence, and able and then after that able to make my own decisions and what I wanted done. I really believe that I, I saved my own life. I saw the medical field, the medical doctor as a tool. I used them as a tool in able to achieve what I wanted. And my achieve, my goal and what I wanted to achieve was to save my life. That's what was this was all about. It was about me. Me saving my life. It was not about the surgeon. It was not about the 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 years of experience they, in the medical field or how much they knew about prostate cancer it was about me saving my life. Because one thing I would say, Keith, very important, even though we, 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 the medical field understand about prostate cancer, they don't know everything about prostate cancer. Nobody knows when it's going to metastasize. Nobody knows that. If somebody could give you an answer on that, they'll get the Nobel Prize. So there's a lot unknown. The key is preventing, prevention. That's the key from it moving from, 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 a, from local to local regional to metastasis. That's the key. Nobody knows when it's going to get from local to metastasis or from local regional into metastasis. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. And that's, and, but you as a patient, you have to be able to, to, to find a clue, do your own research. And based on those, your research, and you make decisions because the minute that cancer moves, from local to distant, is all over. You're at stage four. In my book, I use the analogy of the sheep getting out of the barn. Your cancer at a decent nine was a wolf. Mine was possibly a mean sheep. I was at decent seven. Uh, but once it's out, it's out. In the details of your experiences and mine, the, the lymph nodes can, can be clear. The pathology can look pretty good. This disease is so difficult, men. What's difficult about it is the prostate's probably the worst place in the whole body to try to understand and reach and do surgery on or do radiation on. Cancer is its own beast. It moves how it wants, when it wants, and all the information can say that it looks good when it isn't. I agree with Richard. These doctors have their opinions based on their standard clinical practices. 
and it's about our lives. The details we have to recognize and face are that the death rate in the U.S. for men dying from prostate cancer is on a steady rise, up over 34,000 now in this year. The number of men taking the hormone-blocking drugs continues to rise. It's up over 2 million American men altering their lives, and these drugs are harsh. There's no one on these drugs that says their life is better. They may be buying time, but their life is rough. That is right, Keith. The guidelines are wrong. And the for those of us that are delving so deep into it, the, the industry, the healthcare industry is trying to figure out how to right this ship. I don't, they're not willing to admit yet what's going on. They know that point two is the wrong guideline for recurrence. Doctors will come out and say it, and then they get squashed. I'll give you one simple uh, bit of my own experience. So last year, I decided I needed to get back on board with a doctor. Uh, So I found a new radiation oncologist after much research. I went in for the consultation. I didn't know if I was going to punch him and leave or if he was going to throw me out. We fought. But we spent an hour together. She spoke of your graphs, Richard. I had my graphs of my latest monthly PSA testing. And he said to me, nobody tests every month. Nobody. (laughs) I said, but look, I'm watching it move. My PSA went up and down before my first treatment. But the, the low numbers were always steady rising. And he looked and he looked and he says, okay, I get your point. And then I told him about my salvage lymph node surgery in Belgium. And he says, nobody does that. And he says, I don't believe you had that much cancer. That's what he said to me again, as you pointed out his opinion. He says, can I get a second opinion on the pathology? And I said, yes, I can order it immediately. The slides came right right over from Belgium. No charge to even get those. How amazing is that? And so he sent it to uh, Herman Memorial in Houston, one of the, the leading centers. And he called me up and he said, the pathology is the same. He says, I can't believe you had that much cancer at 0.1, 0.1, not 0.2, Wow. And I said, so how many of patients of yours have had surgery and a biopsy at 0.1? And he says, well, none. And I said, well, then there's your opinion. You, you, you haven't done this. So many of your patients at 0.1 have this cancer, but you've never even done a biopsy, pulled any of the lymph nodes out. So folks, this is what it is to be a patient detective. It's it's an arrogant thing to say our decisions are right. It's an arrogant thing to think we're better, but it's not arrogance. It's understanding that these doctors are constrained by the guidelines that are hurting us. The guidelines of don't screen which is foolish. The guidelines that recurrence is point two. It's flat wrong. The community knows it. There's lots of citations now of doctors recognizing it, but the, it's going to take a long time to get the insurance companies and the healthcare industry to shift and to admit they've been wrong. They have been wrong with us. And as Richard so eloquently said, this is about saving our life. This is about delaying hormone-blocking drugs, hormone therapy, for as long as possible. Because that is not that is not curative. Go ahead, Richard. Yes. What, one, one thing I want to mention also, very important, and cancer 
the best time to fight cancer is when it's in the microscopic level. Meaning that if 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 you wait for your PSA to increase, basically they're asking you to have more disease. That's what it means. If if you go from point one to point two, it's because they're asking you, they say, okay, let the disease increase up to point two. Or let the because that's 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 what it is. Now it is easier to fight the disease at a lower PSA because there's less disease. You have an army of 10 soldiers and an army of a million soldiers. Which one are easier to fight? The one with a million or, or 10 soldiers? 10 soldiers is easier to defeat. You want to defeat a million, you, you might have... you. <laughs> It's going to be a lot difficult. You need more artillery in order to 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 beat somebody at that level. Not only that, Keith, you're waiting for one of the cancer cells to escape. Remember, we tried to. Um, I was trying to prevent my cancer to mess from 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 moving from local regional to metastasis distant. Metastasis. I was I was trying to prevent that. That's what I was preventing. So I felt that waiting for for my PSA to uh, to to reach to zero point two, it was at, it was like asking me wait for more disease to happen, make it increase a little bit more. But at the same time, I'm giving it the opportunity for one cell to escape. Cancer is looking for time. Time, you give it more time, he's going to do his job. Nobody knows when that cancer is going to move from, from, from a local regional or, or, or from a local, from local to, to distance. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. If somebody can give you the answer, that person will get the Nobel Prize. And I don't think anybody knows it. So being a detective is important. Your job is to try to prevent it from from metastasizing. That's the key. So I just want to share that with you, Keith, because a lot of men out there, they've been told things and it's easy for somebody to say, hey, wait for 0.2, wait for 0.3. It's easy because they don't have the disease. You have it. And we as patients, we might see our physician as Something as as God, we have to believe everything they say. I mean, I, I'm 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 not saying to people out there not to agree with a doctor. I'm not saying that. When I'm saying that, use your common sense. You, it, this is about saving your life. I've seen too many people die of prostate cancer uh, and and cancer in general. My neighbor next door just died of cancer. My my uncle died of of of, of cancer. They died because there was too much volume of cancer. The chemo couldn't, couldn't take care of it anymore. There was too many cancer in their body. And you don't want to be told at the end that we cannot do nothing more for you. Because what happened at the end? They, they will tell you, we cannot do any more for you. And that's the reason why I want people to understand that it is 
your life. Make sure that you, you understand what's going on and that you make the proper decision for your life, to save your life. Richard, very, very well said. You and I could talk for a long time on, on many subjects. Today we've gone slightly long, but necessary. So I, I'll wrap us up here. You said something that I've not heard before, and it really struck me, and that is that the cancer's looking for time. And you and I are certainly doing everything we can to deprive our cancers of time, to keep the numbers very, very low. So again, Richard, thank you very much for your excellent contribution. And I wish you the best and all the best to all of us. Still crossing my fingers. I understand. So am I. That's why I test so often. Okay. We'll say goodbye now. Thank you, Richard. And now, because it is necessary, I shall read a short statement from my book that has been slightly edited for this podcast series. If you are in need of expert medical advice or assistance, you should seek it from a source or a physician of your choice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional medical advice because of something you hear in this podcast. This podcast is about the host's and his guest's medical journeys with prostate cancer. The listeners advise that the host and his patient guests are not medically trained. The podcast does not provide medical, psychological, financial, or other professional advice or services, and it is not intended nor should be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The host has not received any remuneration for mentioning any test, physicians, institutions, products, or procedures. The host and guest references are provided for information purposes only and do not constitute endorsement of any product, medical procedure, website, or other information sources. Reliance on any information provided by the host or his guest in this podcast is solely at your own risk. Now, with all of that out of the way, I welcome you to subscribe to this podcast series. If you would like to reach out to me, please look to my author website, www.sheeporwolfcancer.com, for my email and social media links. And you can learn more about my book on Amazon, as well as other book resellers. Thank you for listening, and all the best to all of us. In closing, Momento Marie, just not from prostate cancer. Mm-hmm.